Leading the Way features the Bible teaching of Dr. Michael Youssef, pastor and author of more than 50 books, including How to Read the Bible. You know, there's a trend in today's churches emphasizing grace over law. Now, both grace and law are biblical, but some, to appease the out-of-control culture, are allowing grace to give permission for a life full of rebellion, under the assumption that through grace, forgiveness is always readily available to bail them out of trouble. Well, today, as you review the pages of 1 Corinthians, you will see how this teaching is dangerous. Listen with me as Dr. Michael Youssef outlines the points of today's message from his series, Healthy Living in a Sick World. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he gives us three reasons as to why we are not free to act and behave as we want to. Three reasons. He tells them first that knowledge alone is not complete. Then he said, secondly, not everyone has the same knowledge. And finally, he says, wounding the conscience of another because of carelessness is a sin. Please remember that Leading the Way is listener-supported, relying on God's provision through the prayers and the generosity of God's people to continue serving in this area and all around the world. Learn more about Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way. Give us a call, 866-626-4356, or visit us at ltw.org. Right now, listen with me to Dr. Michael Youssef and his life-changing series called Healthy Living in a Sick World. In the 21st century church in the West, most people fall into one of the two extremes. Sadly, there are few who are balanced. Legalism, on the one hand, that focuses on issues that are not necessary for salvation. On the other hand, the other extreme, <laughs> are those, and this is, by the way, the vast majority of evangelicals today, is license under the guise of grace. It's really cheap grace. License to immorality and justify it under cheap grace. We have little balance between legalism and license. The legalist, on the one hand, thinks will not make it to heaven unless they keep certain rules, unless they keep certain regulations. On the other extremes, we have the blatant flaunting of the freedom into promiscuousness. Now, you must understand that liberty and freedom are at the very core of the Christian faith. Can I get an amen? In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, here's what Jesus said, If you hold on to my teaching, you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Second Corinthians 3.17, Paul said that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and liberty. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But freedom and liberty does not, does not, does not, does not, does not mean that we have an unbridled license to sin. That's not what freedom means. Freedom in Christ never, never, never means freedom to sin. 
But here the Apostle Paul is saying more than that. He is saying even in the gray areas where we have freedom, we are not totally free. Even in the areas that are really up to the individual believer to handle, we're not totally free. Why? Because it may cause others to stumble. It may cause others to sin. It may cause others to fall. This is not legalism where people say, this is a list of do's and don'ts and you must follow them. But if you don't follow this list, you're not saved. No, and a million no's. Listen to me. Your spiritual temperature is not measured by keeping a man-made rules. You are to live a Spirit-filled life, not a rule-bound life. The buzzword among the liberal evangelicals today is this, ambiguity. Ambiguity. Just be ambiguous. So we don't know. We're not really sure. (laughs) They don't care how many people are hindered from coming to the true faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter to them who gets confused. It doesn't matter who departs from the faith. It doesn't matter who is led into sin because of their example. They say, I'm free, I'm free, and I'm free. But the freedom that Christ gives us is freedom not to sin. Can you say that with me? Freedom not to sin. That's the freedom that the Bible talks about. Before we came to Him, we were slaves to sin. Now He sets us free. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, He gives us three reasons as to why we are not free to act and behave as we want to. Three reasons. Look at them with me, please. He tells them first that knowledge alone is not complete. Look at verses 1 to 3. Then he said, secondly, not everyone has the same knowledge. This is verses 4 to 7. And finally, he says, wounding the conscience of another because of carelessness is a sin. Let's look at these. He is saying knowledge is not enough. What's that mean? Here's the problem. There is not a single person in this room who got worried sick today or last week or last month at any point, or worried sick that after church you're going to go and eat food that was offered to idols. Right? You're probably saying, what in the world is this? What is this food offered to idols? Well, I'm glad you asked. The principle is this. When it comes to issues that are not specifically forbidden in the Word of God, how you are to exercise your freedom matters. All of my years in ministry, all of my life, literally, I have heard believers, Christians, and churches argue about drinking alcohol— or about what kind of movies to go to or go to movies at all. I heard believers argue about the music style in the church. Listen to me. There are churches that are split over the music. I have seen people split over dress code, dress style. The list goes on and on and on. People split over and get in, want to get into a fight over these silly things that are not forbidden in the Bible. 
But let me first of all give you a context, because you won't understand the principle until you understand the context, the historic, the cultural context. Until you understand what is Paul saying to them, you will understand how to apply it to us. <laughs> In the Greek or Roman culture, where the Corinthians were living, it was filled with polytheism. Polytheism, polo means many, theos, God, many gods. They were believing in many gods. I mean, they had a God for every day of the week. <laughs> they had a God for every month of the year. They had a God for every need. They had a God for every circumstance. They were up to their eyeballs and gods. But they're not only polytheistic, they were polo <laughs> dominic. What does that mean? They believed in many demons. Demons. They believed these demons, these evil spirits, are just too many to number. They had a demon for fire. They had a demon for water. They had a demon for the air. They had a demon for food. And they believed that all of these demons are really working hard in order to possess them. But how are these demons possess people? Here's what they believed that these demons, first of all, they get into the meat. <laughs> and so when you're eating meat, they're already possessed with demons, and you eat it, and you become possessed. Isn't that amazing? The terror that they lived in. They think this is the fastest way a demon spirit can possess you is when they get in the food. <laughs> and this is how the entire culture, the Roman culture, which was influenced by Hellenistic or Greek culture, they were living. So what is this man-made solution? Ah, oh, you take this meat, you offer it to one of the gods or the goddesses first. That way you really strike two birds with one stone. <laughs> you basically please the god, make them happy with this offering, and get them off your back. And secondly, the gods to whom you're offering this meat ahead of time they will cleanse the meat from the demonic forces. See how Satan had them bound? Then should the Christian believer go along to get along and just eat and don't worry about it? Or should they cut themselves off from the society altogether? This was a dilemma. It is a genuine dilemma for the believers in Corinth. So you understand now, when you read the Scripture, you understand these people were not just frivolous about it. This was an important issue. Some sensitive Christians refused to eat meat that's offered to idol. They wanted nothing to do with it. Why? Because it brought back to them that terrible memories of their former pagan life before Christ. Above all, they did not want anyone to think that they have reverted back to their previous life before Christ. On the other hand, there were some Christians who couldn't understand what the hoopla is all about? <laughs> meat is meat. To them, these gods are nothing. They're not really gods at all, and they're not evil spirits. They're the ones to whom Paul is writing, because he's writing to whom he called mature believers. Paul is writing to those Christians who are grounded in the truth. He's writing to believers whose conscience is clear 
about these issues that are not forbidden in the Scripture. These are gray areas. And here Paul appeals to the mature Christians who have no qualms of conscience about those gray areas. He's writing, and he's appealing to them, and he's pleading with them. What is he saying? Do not let your liberty to be your focus. You should be more concerned about those who are less mature in the faith. Do not focus and flaunt your freedom at the price of wounding the conscience of others. Let your love for the weaker Christian override your rights. If you truly love the weaker Christian, then you will not use your liberty to crush them, even in these things that are not forbidden in the Scripture, that are left to the individual discretion. Do not use your freedom as a club to beat others over the head. Do not go out of your way to offend them. Don't go out of your way to confuse them. Don't go out of your way to cause them to stumble. Don't go out of your way to have those who are weak in the faith fall. Don't let your knowledge of the truth make you feel superior to them. But he's saying more than that. Listen carefully. He's saying your knowledge of the truth regarding pagan gods is good, but it's incomplete. You might be mature in knowledge, but you also should be mature in love. Your doctrine is solid, but there is a crack in your love. Uh, your mind is sound, but there is something wrong with your heart. You get an A for knowledge, but you get a D for love. Don't miss what the great apostle is saying. He is not. He is not. He is not minimizing or belittling knowledge. In fact, many times in the epistles you hear him praying for that they may increase in knowledge. They may increase in knowledge. But he is saying that knowledge must be tempered with love. Knowledge is vitally important, but do not use it negatively. In fact, the Lord himself bemoans the fact that his people are dying for lack of knowledge, as he says through the prophet Hosea. This is Gallupol. Sixty percent of Americans do not know what the Holy Trinity is. Sixty-six percent could not tell you who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Seventy-nine percent that's nearly 80% of the population, were unable to name a single Old Testament prophet. Beloved, that's the culture we live in. In fact, vast number of college students thought that the epistles are the wives of the apostles. Knowledge that idols were not real. Knowledge that food offered to idols was not contaminated with evil spirits. All of that is wonderful. All of that knowledge is right. All of that knowledge is good, but knowledge in itself can be turned inward on itself. Flaunting liberty in Christ 
can make knowledge offend the weaker brother or sister. Hear me right. A balanced Christian believer is the one who balances knowledge with love. Can I get an amen? amen. Paul said, knowledge puffs, love humbles. Verse 3, it is impossible to know God and not love Him, and God knows those who love Him, and He knows them by name, and He calls them by name. So knowledge alone is incomplete. Secondly, he says, verses 4 to 7, not everyone has the same knowledge. I think this is a fact. You already know this. Not everybody has the same knowledge. Paul agrees with the mature Christians, <laughs> with the mature believers. For the believers, there is only one true God, and this one true God revealed Himself fully in Jesus Christ. All other gods, all religious systems, all the all, the, all false and fake, and they're not the truth. Only one truth is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I knew that. To the mature believer in Corinth, Paul said that you are on the right track. You have the right belief. You have the right concept. You have comprehended the truth. Now, carry that right knowledge over and make it into right relationship. Verse 4, not all Christians have the same knowledge. Why? Because there are all different stages of walks. There are a lot of different stages of walks. Some people have been walking with Christ for many, many years. Others were just new ones. So we all have different knowledge. Believe it or not, within the Christian community, there are such things as late bloomers. Now, if you had kids, you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of them are late bloomers. Some of them get it right away. Even though the act of eating is neither morally nor spiritually wrong, yet it becomes wrong when I deliberately and carelessly let it violate the weaker conscience of another believer. Thirdly, finally, wounding the conscience of another believer, weak believer, is a sin. It's a sin. Verse 8 neither eating nor not eating these types of meats <laughs> will commend us to God. It's not going to affect my relationship with God if you eat or you don't eat. <laughs> Doing things that are not forbidden in the Word of God is not significant, has no significance in our relationship with the Lord. Mark chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, it is not what you eat that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mind. Acts chapter 10, when the Lord showed Peter a vision of unclean food, and by Jewish standards, it's just unclean, and God said, eat it. <laughs> Don't forbid what God allowed. If an immature Christian or a weak Christian sees a mature Christian doing something that they, not the Bible, but they, the weaker ones, think is wrong, it could wound their conscience. If the believer's conscience is weak, it's because that brother or sister is just weak in the faith. And therefore, the mature Christian is mature because he or she is a strong in the faith. And therefore, they should have better judgment. And that is why the strong has the responsibility not to offend the weak. Not the other way around. Let me repeat this. 
the strong has the responsibility not to offend the weak. And that, my beloved friends, requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. I'm going to tell you this as I conclude. True story. There was a, a family who loved hiking. The father particularly would take the family to hiking trips. And one day, they arrived into the picnic place, and he said to the family, he said, you wait here, unpack the lunch, get it ready. I'm going to get up that steep one. I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to check it out, and I'm going to come back very soon. And so he goes up, and halfway through his climb, he heard a voice that literally I mean, it terrified him, paralyzed him. And the voice said, Daddy, take the safe path. I'm following you. It was his little boy. What do you think the father would do? Oh, keep on coming, son. You're free to do that. We'll do whatever you're free. You're free. Come on, come on. Come up if you want. No, not on your life. Why? Because the knowledgeable father is also a loving father. Don't split those two. Don't split them. A knowledgeable father is also a loving father. He turned around and immediately picked up his boy and went back. Beloved, being free in Christ is not sufficient to allow you to do things that may be harmless to you, but devastating to others. Think about this with me. Think about this with me, everyone. Daddy, I'm following you. Mommy, I'm following you. Bible teacher, I'm following you. Church leader, I'm following you. Pastor, I'm following you. Holy Spirit of God, you probably have taken your own words that are recorded in the Scripture and applied them 2,000 ways to 2,000 different people. Whichever way, O Holy Spirit of God, you have applied that word to each of us, please allow that application, that implication, that conviction be burrowed so deep into our minds and hearts and will so that we begin to live not just with knowledge, but allow this knowledge to be tempered with love for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God. We pray in Jesus' name. This is Leading the Way with pastor and author of the new book, How to Read the Bible, Dr. Michael Youssef. You know, if you'd like to learn more about what it means to live for Christ, why don't you allow a pastor or a counselor from Leading the Way to help you? Start by filling out a short contact form at ltw.org slash Jesus. Discover redemption woven through the pages of the Bible and experience spiritual renewal as you go beyond just reading the Bible to seeking the kingdom of God as you dig into the truth of its pages. 
that the Word of God itself is the only food that will sustain you spiritually, that will nourish you spiritually, that will encourage you every day. How to Read the Bible by Dr. Michael Youssef is available from ltw.org. ltw.org. You can also order products and connect further with Leading the Way by calling 866-626-4356. And that website again, ltw.org. Well, our time is up for this episode, but please do make plans to join Dr. Michael Youssef once again next time for a very special Leading the Way. Passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth. That is what Dr. Michael Yusuf does each day on Leading the Way. You can also hear Dr. Yusuf's teaching on your favorite podcast platform, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Google Podcasts, and more. Subscribe to Leading the Way today. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf.